Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Today, I have Tom Shields with me, who had a best boss in mind as he heard about the show and reached out to share his story. So, Tom, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Christine. I I really appreciate it. And I I definitely have a best boss in mind. I consider myself also a longtime listener, first-time caller, taking a lot of very, very good lessons from the podcast. So really excited to kind of share my own best boss story. Amazing. And before we dive in, just tell everybody a little bit about what you do, where you're calling from, all that good jazz. Yeah, definitely. So for background, my name is Tom. I run my own executive recruitment firm, and I'm based in New York City. My firm, Shields Group Search, we specialize on partnering mainly with C to Series A startups on their hiring needs. So mostly executive positions, but a lot of engineering roles, commercial roles, and we work with some venture capital firms as well, um, but very much focused on that startup executive search. Amazing. That helps everybody kind of get context of where you're calling from. So I'm going to start with the big question. Who's your best boss and why? So my best boss is a woman named Carolyn Kimmick. And several years ago, you know, before I had even kind of started this journey of my career in, in executive recruitment, I had this boss, Carolyn, who, you know, has been such a longtime mentor and was my original manager when I first joined uh, the executive recruitment industry. So she was the one who several years ago um, hired me to a company called Better.com, a mortgage fintech company that had scaled to over $12 billion valuation. So like a very hot kind of real estate startup, really in the midst of COVID that had done very well. And Carolyn was the one who hired me into this role and actually introduced me to executive recruitment. So for some kind of industry context on executive recruitment, it's a bit different than just kind of your regular talent acquisition and uh, kind of regular uh, recruitment of candidates. Executive recruitment is known to be more high-end, white-glove process. Searches can often take not several weeks, but several months to find the right candidate. And the stakes are very high because the candidates you are kind of navigating through the recruitment process with you know, will be often for make or break roles. So for example, a a chief financial officer or a COO of, you know, a a public company or one of the first hires of a company that will either take that company to the next level or, you know, fail potentially. So it's a very high impact roles and negotiation will often, you know, be in the hundreds of thousands or even into the millions if you're including equity. So, you know, it it was an industry that I was completely new to and I was hired by Carolyn to come in as, you know, essentially a a junior executive recruiter. So doing market research, sourcing candidates, helping with a lot of administrative work, and and really kind of taken in, I was really taken in under her wing. Carolyn brought me in. And, you know, what I loved about her management style is she guided me, taught me the ins and outs of executive search, taught me how to be organized, how to present candidates. I think what was so important is, is she brought me in to, to shadow so much, so many of her meetings, screens with candidates, was always looped into kind of those high impact meetings. 
for her context on her, you know, she had had a long background working for different high-end executive recruitment firms and then had come in-house to be a manager of executive recruitment. Uh, we worked for a small business unit that reported to the board and the CEO, which was totally new to me to have this exposure to being in a meeting with a CEO and board members of, of people who had just achieved, you know, very great things in their career. And I was this kind of, you know, young kid in his early 20s and still didn't know, you know, exactly how to just be that, be presentable. But, you know, she would do coaching with me, you know, of, of how to, you know, present yourself, how to manage those conversations where, you know, I, I was frankly a bit intimidated, you know, to talk to candidates who had, you know, built and scaled companies and taken companies public. And I had always thought, you know, how do I, how do I even speak to these people, you know, let alone negotiate salary with them? Walked me, you know, very thoroughly, you know, in coaching sessions. But I think what I appreciated so much about her is she coached and guided me, but did it as at a distance. You know, I, I think she allowed me the the room to fail on my own and to make mistakes and to learn. So help me understand that, you know, give me an example of you're in your early 20s. There's these very, very successful people that you are negotiating with as part of your placement process. Give me an example of a time that you were very nervous and, you know, going, oh, gosh. <laughs> so I, I can, you know, I can recall we did a, a recruitment search for a chief accounting officer. And, you know, I, I was the one who was charged with sourcing candidates, finding these candidates and engaging with them. Um, you know, we ended up connecting with this, you know, very high quality, you know, lifelong accountant. His name was Paulo. He had taken a company's public before. He understood the process. Our company was hope, hoping to go public. And it, it was a long search process. You know, it, it was it was six months. And I, I just remember, you know, what was challenging was, you know, we, we didn't know when the search would end. We wanted to keep bringing in more candidates for a point of comparison. You know, we were worried we we're going to lose Paulo as he had a couple competing offers. And, you know, I just remember in my, my check-ins with with Carolyn, you know, she was kind of always there to just say, like, uh, you know, we we can do this. You know, we'll, like, I focus on what's in your control. I, I remember her saying those words. Focus on what's in your control. Don't let the stress get to you. You know, we we have our our deadlines. We have the search that we need to complete. But I just I remember her telling telling me that even when there's so many different searches, so many different candidates to keep track of. You know, we're we're trying to get down to the line of negotiating over thousands of dollars. She just always told me, like, focus on what's in your in your control, you know, and, and that's what we did with this search with Paulo. And, and he, you know, was so thankful to myself, to Carolyn for just, you know, I, I think putting on such good, uh, a good process for him and, and always maintaining that white glove process. You know, I, I think that she always did such a good job at instructing me. And I, I think also just sharing with the team that no matter how stressed we are, how much we have going on, you know, it's it's always so important to just maintain that calm and, you know, composure in the way that you're acting. And mm -hmm. I think that, that was one of my kind of greatest learning lessons that, you know, I was always shocked. I remember asking her in a meeting, you know, we have so much going on, like, how are you not stressed? Like, uh, we have so many searches we're trying to complete this, this finalist candidate just dropped out. And she just said, like, I am, I, I am very stressed, but <laughs> it's yeah. it's important to to maintain composure for, you know, for your colleagues, for yourself, for your own sanity, for the candidates you're trying to navigate in the process. 
because I think a lot of executive recruitment is it's not just you know interviewing these candidates and trying to test them, but you're also marketing the company, marketing the opportunity. So you right. know it's really is important for us to be you know calm and composed and you know being able to articulate the opportunity and sell it well. You know as it is that we are you know interviewing and testing these candidates' background. Just her sense of poise, you know, w- was such a learning lesson for me. You know, at a time when right. I was. I was figuring out the ropes and and didn't know what I was doing, frankly. But I, I think that her calming presence was was always just beneficial for me. And that is really amazing because I talk a lot about culture and we mirror each other, humans. We mirror each other. So there is so much that happens not through words, but through kind of energy and the what you see. So in the moment which the stakes are high, you know, you're trying to bring those candidates on, you're trying to keep your clients happy, like you've got a lot on the table to lose, the way you handle that in that moment. I mean, what a powerful lesson for you to get at the start of your career, no less. Most professionals, it takes years for us to actually manage, (laughs) master stress management. I know personally, I've had quite a journey in that, in that realm. And it just takes years to really manage that. And her leading and showing you that it can be done is such an amazing way for you to see that it can be done. I was in management consulting and we would all be very stressed, but I never saw a leader navigate that stress in a really calm, healthy way. It felt like I always saw it in a very kind of toxic, difficult way. And then I, by nature, just thought that that's what it looked like when you're stressed. So I I love hearing about Carolyn's stress management, even though she admits, I'm stressed. <laughs> Don't think that I'm not paying attention right now, but I, I'm not going to bring that to the table and let that energy kind of, you know, spill over. Yeah. You, you know, I, I think she did, uh, again, like such a phenomenal job of maintaining composure. But then I also think as a leader, something I, I very much respected and I'll never forget is that she stood up for her people. Um, and I remember mm. her Standing up for me, especially when I was, you know, I was I was young and kind of early in executive recruitment, and I made mistakes. And I can recall specific moments, you know, in a team meeting that we had where I had essentially messed up a data set. You know, it was my job to put together a long list of candidates and companies that we would want to target for recruitment, and essentially market research uh, documents that I would put together. And I, I had essentially just, you know, mixed up a data set that I was supposed to do, and I, I filled out the wrong one. And in the team meeting, you know, I was being critiqued by a higher-up boss sure. on, you know, not doing the the task I was supposed to do and, and um, you know, completing it incorrectly. And I re- recall Carolyn standing up and saying, like, oh, actually, like, that's not Tom's fault. Like, this is the first time he's he's attempted this, like... I should have been overseeing it. Like we'll work together to figure this out. But this is not Tom's fault. Like the buck stops with me. I was I was responsible for this as well. She was not that directly responsible for this. But in that moment, she stood up for me. You know, she was my manager. I, I was her direct report, and she stood up for me and defended me in, in that moment. Right. Where I, I've been in a lot of other situations where you know, maybe a higher up person at a company is is critiquing or reprimanding a more junior associate or someone newer to the company. And that person's manager, you know, stays quiet and doesn't say anything and lets that person take the blame. But I think in that moment, it meant a lot to me that she was willing to go out of her way to even get herself in trouble because it meant right. 
defending me and, and investing in me. And, and, you know, even after that meeting, you know, she pulled me aside and we worked on it together and, and she sure. helped me. And it was something that she had done many times and, and we collaborated and we got it done. Um, but I think I really respected her going out of her way to say, no, the, bu- the buck stops with me. I manage Tom and, and we'll figure this out together, but it, right. it's not it's not his fault. And she didn't let me fully take that blame, which I respected a lot. I have a lot of admiration for leaders who take ownership for their role as a leader in the work that's getting done, right? If you had been taught that and done that work many, many times and you were just being careless, maybe that piece of feedback, that hard feedback needed to happen. But what I'm hearing her say is, wait a minute, I didn't train you properly. I didn't get you set up for success on this. That's my job. Exactly. And, you know, let's just let's just make sure that we decipher <laughs> when there's truly incompetence versus some leadership, a, a mistake on the leadership side. So I have a lot of admiration for that. I don't see a lot of leaders do that well. And it's definitely a trait of a best boss. It makes you feel safe that your best foot forward is going to be good enough, right? Love it. And just out of curiosity, you know, I'm always getting asked questions about the financial impact of a best boss. I'm in the world where I do leadership development. So what do you think the impact to the bottom line is when someone like Carolyn is working and managing people like you? Like, how do you think that impacts the business? You know, just being an executive recruiter myself, I am just so bought into the idea of companies scaling through talent. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good a company's product is or technology, if they don't have the right people in place, you know, they can't grow and they can't develop. And I think so much of Carolyn's leadership was bringing on these exceptional leaders to the organization that we worked for. I saw us bring in world-class talent that we attracted from investment banks, from from big tech, from some of the most prestigious companies in the country and in the world, because they wanted to work with Carolyn and they wanted to work with other amazing colleagues. And I I saw the, the value of her being such a phenomenal leader, such a phenomenal executive recruiter, that value directly translated into us recruiting the best talent in the world. And, and I think mm-hmm. particularly in, in executive recruitment, I think being a great manager, being a great boss meant everyone around her what was just so motivated, so bought into the mission. And uh, again, the end result was us bringing on exceptional talent, which in, right. in the executive recruitment world is you know, the the dream end result, you know, and I think it makes you feel gratifying because, you know, we were working so hard to recruit these talented executives. And then six months later, you know, after they had been onboarded and trained up and thriving with the company, we were working with them to help hire their teams. So I, I think it was so right. fulfilling because we, we hired these people and then we got to see them thrive in the company. That was definitely the end result of her uh, phenomenal leadership. And you know, I will say just it was kind of a funny story because we worked together at this original company, Better.com, where she had right. me, trained me, you know, introduced me to the world of executive recruitment. Fast forward a few years later, she leaves, she joins a venture capital studio. She gives me a call a few weeks later. I was at the gym, I was on the treadmill. She gives me a call, says, Tom, I have an opportunity on my team. Would you like to come work with me again? I've never said yes faster in my life. <laughs> wow. So, you know, we we had the chance to work 
together and not just one, but two companies, which was wow. just such a phenomenal experience. And I think it really spoke to our relationship. And then it really spoke to kind of her leadership that I, I was just, I was ready to drop everything. And That's go amazing. That is a big testament again to what it's like to work with the best boss. And it really validates the point that you're making about how fast talent moves to places where there's amazing leadership. So, you know, I would imagine that there's a business case right there. Again, you've got the top performing team, right? So if you think in the world of sports, we all want the top performers on our team. But also when that team has worked before together and they know each other and they can anticipate each other, the ramp up time. So, you know, you would know in your business too, brand new talent into a brand new role, the ramp up time can be quite long before they're really making an impact. But if you're bringing people who know each other and they already are high performing together into a room, that ramp up time, you know, the business is getting so much more value out of those dollars and those resources. Absolutely. Now, I am curious, have you ever worked for a not great boss? Yeah, you know, I I definitely feel like I've had those experiences. And, you know, I I think when you have had the experience of working for a phenomenal boss, I I think those other examples become kind of more clear of of what's wrong because you've pointed of what works well and what doesn't. I've definitely had the experience of working for managers where, you know, they they critiqued, you know, myself and other employees very publicly and in front of other employees. And, you know, I think they were kind of overly nitpicky and kind of always hovering and constantly checking in, you know, maybe every every 30 minutes on have you finished this assignment or when are you going to get this done? And I think, you know, it's classic micromanagement and it almost, you know, sounds like a cliche, but I, I think it's, you know, surprisingly still so common in, in the workforce where managers you know, think that they will get more value out of their employees or tasks will get done quicker if they just constantly check in, they're constantly hovering. And I think it's it's almost always the opposite result is true. If you're constantly checking in, it presents the notion that you don't trust your employee to get their tasks done. So I, I think taking Carolyn's example, she trusted me and she defended me, but she gave me tasks at the same time and she expected things to be done. And she was always there to guide me and support me, but she wasn't checking in every hour. Yep. And I think built on that, you know, a, a bit, I think something that Carolyn, my, my best boss did that was terrific was when she did give me guidelines, they were exceptionally clear. They were crystal clear exactly what needed to be done. And if, if I did have questions, she was always available. I think also something that Carolyn did as a best boss, which I I very much appreciated, was, again, on the note of defending people, I think she went out of her way to make sure everyone felt heard. You know, Mm -hmm. in my second job working with her at this uh, venture capital firm, we had, I recall, a team meeting where we had one new joiner, and she was a little bit quiet, I think a a bit shy, just still learning the ropes as as I had done just a few years ago, you know, still learning executive search, maybe a bit intimidated. And she had come from a recruitment agency, but just not as executive focused. So it wasn't just as as used to this exact environment. And I remember in team meeting, we were going over tasks and learnings from the week. And And this one employee, this new joiner had been exceptionally quiet. And I think we could all tell she was a bit shy. And I remember Carolyn just saying at at one point in the meeting, giving her a compliment of saying, oh, I I recall, you know, you did this in your previous job, right? Like you, you have some strong expertise 
in putting together these reports. Like you're great at this. Like what do you what do you think? And you know, I could just see that that new employees her her face lit up, and she said, "Oh yeah, actually, like I, I've done this kind of work before. Like I, I have expertise here." And you know, then she felt comfortable to share. So I think, you know, complimenting and then calling out an employee to to help them feel engaged and bring them into the conversation. I, I think I, I really respected that and noticed, you know, just just how much of a difference that makes of making sure your people feel heard. It's such a great example of what inclusive leadership really looks like. You know, we talk about inclusivity and all of these great kind of buzzwords and what's popular right now. But the the truth is, is like, these are the behaviors that create inclusion, right? Somebody's sitting at the table and they don't know how to become part of that team. And she's creating that just through these simple practices. So I think that's amazing. Whereas she could have just said, you know, sit back and listen. And, you know, we're just going to pretend you're not here. I've seen that. We've been in meetings before where, you know, a person walks in the room and they never open their mouth and they walk back out again. And we have no idea why they were there. But we're not making it any easier for that person in the future to really contribute or build confidence. So, you know, it's interesting how she took an active role bringing that person in. And you got to watch that and see it in motion, which means it's a leadership practice that you got a chance to observe and see how it worked. Yeah, Amazing. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so knowing that there's lots of leaders out here listening to this, just kind of as I'm bringing this together, what would be some of the suggestions you'd have? You know, I mean, it's interesting because you're in executive placement. You must even place leaders where their success as people leaders makes or breaks whether or not that was a good placement. What would be some of the recommendations you would give for people who are really going to try to show up as a best boss? Yeah, you know, I, I I very much appreciate that question because it's something I'm always thinking about and I'm talking to executives every single day and hearing about their leadership style. And at the same time, I, I'm trying to build my company. You know, we recently hired someone a month or two ago and I'm, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm a bit stressed myself trying to figure out the best management style and figuring out just how to best how to best navigate being a best boss. I think my overall advice would be trust your people. You know, you hired these people for a reason, so so trust them. You know, if they're on your team, guide them and and teach them and you know, help them be better at, at the core job than you are yourself. You know, I, I think that was another thing Carolyn shared with me that very much stuck with me. Her goal and it even shocked me. I was like, better than you? Uh, why would I want to be better than you? But uh, you know, I remember her saying. I want to make you better at executive recruitment than I am myself. And I think that if you can do that for your employees, you know, really go in with the mission of guiding them and teaching them to be better at the job than you are, I think the dividends will pay tenfold. And then when you leave and and want to hire them again, they'll be they'll be right there, just as I was for, for Carolyn. I think that's a great tagline. And I'm really gonna think about that being better than you, because there is a there's a lot of things that have to occur in order for me to train you to be better than me. So like, there's got to be some ego. I have to be okay not being the best. I have to be also believing in your power and your capability and believe that it's possible. And then I also have to know that it's going to take me a ton of work for me to ever transfer all the things that I know over to you 
and really help build you into being better than me, right? And then, I mean, in your case, you've gone on to start your own business versus work for her. So some managers would be really threatened by that, where they'd be like, what if I train you to be better for me and then you end up in competition or I don't get to have you on my team anymore. You want to go work for somebody else. So a lot of people feel very threatened by giving you the golden key because what if? And it sounds like she didn't take that approach. She she took much more of a holistic approach that is, she did it because it was the right thing to do. Yes, exactly. You know, I think she, you know, wanted to train me to be the best because it was the right thing to do. And she knew that we would all benefit from it. If I was excelling at my job, then we're all accomplishing our tasks better. We're all getting more things done as a team. And we're, I think we're, we're driving the business forward. You know, I think management should be a win-win, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think it should be a real relationship. I, I think you should trust your people. And I, I think that you should both be learning. And I think, you know, I now like running my own company, I feel like I, it's given me so much perspective, but I, I think also the advice I would give to someone who, you know, is maybe considering taking a new job or will have a new boss is I would ask yourself, are you learning from this person? Because I think you always want to be learning from any boss of yours. Mm -hmm. uh, you learning a new skill set, something you don't know before. You want to be mentored by someone who's who's built and done things, you know, maybe differently than you have and and someone you look up to. You you very much want to be learning from your boss. And then number two, you know, does your boss trust you? I, I think that trust piece is, is just so important. Treating people as humans, <laughs> you know, I, I think, again, trusting them and, you know, letting them, you know, guiding them to, to do the best work they can do is just so crucial. But, you know, not not acting like everything is is life or death, you know, and, and checking in all the time. You know, I, I think just trusting them and, and guiding them to success. Well, listen, I have really enjoyed hearing about her. And uh, I'm very sure she's going to be flattered by some of the amazing stories you told about her. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. I, I very much appreciate being on here and sharing. Amazing. Thank you, Tom. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.